welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this October 2015 episode is Conquering the Courthouse for Genealogical Records, and we will start off at the Genealogy Insider blog, where Diane Haddad will tell us about a record collection found both at the courthouse and online. In our top tips segment, Sunny Morton will be here to share her own courthouse research experiences and some great tips for how you can get the most out of your visit. Then in our 101 Best Website segment, we'll talk about finding court records on FamilySearch.org with author Dana McCullough. And we'll wrap things up over at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. She's got a fantastic resource to help us navigate courthouses across the U.S. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. Ancestry.com has a new probate collection out, and the genealogy insider, Diane Haddad, has been blogging about it. Hi, Diane. Hi, Lisa. You know, our theme for this episode is conquering the courthouse, and certainly that's a good place to head when we're looking for probate records. Um, But of course, now Ancestry is a good place as well because they have this new probate collection. And I was hoping that you would share the experience that you wrote about on the Genealogy Insider blog talking about using this new database. Sure. Well, the great thing about this collection is that it's indexed. Um, so you can search it. FamilySearch.org has these records also. They're just not all indexed there. So um, here you can search it. And on the blog post that you mentioned, I blogged about how I found the first and as yet only clue to this one particular ancestor who um, just sort of dropped off the face of the earth in the 1890s. And um, I had found no reference to her death or anything that happened to her, except for that her husband started being called a widower. So this um, will that I found in the Ancestry.com collection of her mother refers to um, a loan that she had made to my ancestor's husband, and part of it covered the funeral costs. So it still doesn't give me an exact date or any kind of circumstances, but I know that she, in fact, died <laughs> right. at some point during that time. Um, and then also in this will was named other um, the siblings of my ancestor, just other people, relationships to confirm, um, which is really helpful when you have big families with cousins who have the same names. So, so it's, that's also very handy information. Yeah. And, you know, this is a great example of when the 1890 census, you know, got basically destroyed and mm-hmm. isn't available mm-hmm. to us. Wow. Probate records, a great substitute, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, they can confirm that um, people who might have been born after the 1880 census, um, you know, things happen during their lives that go 20 years without being documented in a federal census record. Here you can find those names and relationships. Terrific. Now, you said that this was indexed, and Family mm-hmm. Search, they must have partnered together on this, right? Yes. And uh, did Ancestry end up doing their own index? 
It looks like they did because the information so far is not shared across the sites. There are a few things people should know um, because these are handwritten records. The indexing isn't perfect. I got real excited because I got a result for an Elizabeth Norris, and I clicked through to see the record. It was an Ethelbert. So, and actually pretty readable as Ethelbert. So, um, so, so you will find things like that where the um, transcriptions are not correct. The other thing that, that you'll find is that there isn't complete coverage. So not all counties are there. And for the records in a county, um, they, you don't necessarily find the whole probate packet. Sometimes you find um, index pages from index books. So it's just the list of names. And if the will that is referenced or the other probate records that are referenced in that index aren't on Ancestry, then you would need to find the actual records in, you know, in another way on microfilm or by contacting the courthouse or that kind of thing. You have to download each page of a probate file individually. Um, If you download a page, um, you only get that specific page. You don't get the whole record. And some of these are quite large, right? (laughs) Yes, you could get a very large packet, which would be wonderful to have because it would probably be full of information. You just want to make sure you get every page. And in addition to attaching it to your tree, you would also want to have a copy on your computer. Exactly. Well, I encourage all of our listeners to to go and read your blog post. It's called Finding Clues in Ancestry.com's New Probate Collection. It's a great introduction to, if you're new to probate records, you'll get a chance to um, see as Diane kind of walked through and worked with them. And also she's got links throughout the post to all the different um, collections, whether you're going to be working with Ancestry.com or you want to go over to the freefamilysearch.org website and browse there. Lots of great resources here. And of course, there's a uh, Make the Most of Probate Records on Online course over at Family Tree University, which she links to, which could certainly help get you up and running. Mm-hmm. Th- this is really cool. Thank you so much. And, and how interesting. She, uh, you, you can read here that she bequeathed to each of her children $5. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Diane. You're welcome. This episode is devoted to courthouse research. I've invited Family Tree Magazine contributing editor Sunny Morton back to the show because not only has she authored the Court Records 101 class for Family Tree University, but I happen to know that she has a lot of great tips from her own personal experiences. Welcome back to the show, Sunny. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Hey, we're usually chatting over at the Genealogy Gems podcast, where you are the Genealogy Gems book club guru. So it's kind of fun to be talking to you here over at Family Tree Magazine podcast, where today you are the court records guru. You are a woman of many talents. Oh, well, thank you. Well, there's actually a little bit of backstory to my courthouse journey. You know, we all have our first, like you remember your first date, you remember your first time in a courthouse, right? (laughs) If you're a genealogist, those are the kinds of things you remember. So yours was really early in your career, right? This is kind of... It really uh, was before I ever even knew I was going to be a genealogist. So the most time I think altogether that I've ever spent in a courthouse was actually, I, I worked at the courthouse during a few summers while I was in college. Oh, awesome. Yeah, great training for a future genealogist, don't you think? 
Absolutely. So everybody jealous of you. <laughs> I, I actually worked in the engineer's office at first, which may not sound that exciting to a genealogist, but I helped with the paperwork for current road projects. Um, but one day while I was in a back room there, I noticed these stacks of really old books and papers. And I got permission to dig into them because even way back then I was really into history. They were road records dating back to 1802. Oh, wow. Before Ohio was even a state. That's where I lived and worked. Mm-hmm. So they, oh my these were really cool. I think I was thinking about it. And I'm like, what was in those? I remember reading lists of assignments for local property owners to maintain certain sections of a road and the ditches near them. So there were also surveyor's records back to like 1834, which would have described various like property and right-of-way lines throughout the county. So wow. wow, wow is right. Yeah. So these are these were phenomenal genealogical resources, but they were sitting in the back room at the engineer's office. Nobody oh. even knew they were there. There was no reading room. There was no place to accommodate visitors if they even if they came and wanted to look them up. Mm-hmm. So, um, I got transferred to. There is a happy ending to this story. I promise. Okay. okay. I got transferred to the map room of the engineer's office, and this is where I really got an education in old maps. So this, the map room wasn't an archive per se. Members of the public came in all the time to consult big blueprints from all over the county. A lot of subdivision plat maps with the original designs created when the developer created a new neighborhood. They would map out what it looked like. They would number the lots in the town lots so that, of course, those are really helpful when you're trying to identify a numbered lot from a deed description. What do you mean by lot 15 of this subdivision? You don't know what that means unless you're looking at the map of the subdivision, Mm -hmm. like the subdivision plat map. So they were there. And then they also had tax maps. These were a huge series of maps identifying the current lot owners and the address numbers. They assigned new addresses there in that room too. All the rights of way, all those kinds of things. And they had old tax maps that people came in to consult sometime clear back to 1820. Wow. So tons and tons of records available from a county office. Fortunately, and the happy ending is that since I worked in those offices, all those historical records have been transferred to a county archive. I went and dug a little bit. Oh, to see. Good. I'm like, they're in a county archive now, aren't they? They did create that county archive since I worked there. So now they're centralized. They're easier for researchers to learn about and work with. And they're even listed out on the county archive website. Oh, fantastic. Well, you know, and that's kind of an indication of um, what we know happens, which is that here a record collection can be held in the back room somewhere and somebody totally different, a different segment of researchers, not genealogists, but maybe they're land developers, you know, they're using them and that's the mindset that they're in and how they respond to them. And it, it might take someone like you, a genealogist who comes along and goes, uh, excuse me, but the rest of us are really interested too. I mean, it's exciting to think that there may still be other records out there that somebody hasn't put two and two together yet, but they will, and that those can come to the forefront for genealogists everywhere. It's kind of exciting. Yes, it is. Well, since this is our top tips segment on courthouse records, um, how about 
based on your experience, and I know that the course that you wrote for Family Tree University, how about dishing up, let's do four top tips for pursuing courthouse research. How's that sound? Sure, sure. Let's do that. And first, I want to say that you set that up perfectly um, by saying that these courthouse records were never created with genealogists in mind. And a lot of them, the record, the modern records and the historical records, they're there for people trying to answer modern day questions. Mm-hmm. So just understanding that mindset when you approach the courthouse, that was that's not one of my tips, but that's a really good one that you just laid out for us. So my tips, the first one, know what questions you hope to answer at the courthouse. So know where, where your data gaps are. So some examples of questions that could be answered successfully at a courthouse might be, I want to identify every child this couple had. Or Mm -hmm. I want to determine which years they lived here in this county, start to finish. I want to know more about land they owned. I want to confirm vital events for these three people, births, marriages, and deaths. Or the juicy stuff, I heard there was a scandal and I want to know if there are court records that will tell me more. So very specific questions, you know, it's, and that's true when you go to any type of repository, but especially a courthouse where you can so easily get lost and not really know what you're doing, not have a lot of, of uh, direction. So know what questions you want to answer at the courthouse. And that seems like a really important element because when you get there, you don't have a genealogy expert behind the counter, do you? No, right? No, you don't. So it's not like you can get your heads together and formulate some of that while you're there, like you might at um, an archive or at the family history library. So right. I think that's a really good point. You know, people prepare and they kind of do their homework as to what the courthouse holds, but they haven't necessarily thought through all these things because we're not going to have the same help we have at archives. Great tip. Okay. Okay. Number so, two. Number two. And yes, the going to the courthouse is a self-guided tour for a genealogist, yeah. <laughs> but you've just led in very easily to the second one, and that is learn what resources exist to answer those questions. So the courthouse research made easy class that you referred to that I developed uh, for Family Tree University, it's a great place to learn more about the record types that most commonly exist in counties on the county level at the courthouse and how to access them. So like vital records, deeds, tax records, wills, probates, and estate records. There's all different kinds of documents that exist in these various categories and others. And learn what's out there before you go looking for it. Yeah. So and and then you'll also want to learn about those old record types. But then that if you already know about those before you go, that will give you a little more freedom, a little more time to explore questions like what additional records might there be specifically for this county, like the maps and the old route road and the survey books that I mentioned that could mm-hmm. also answer your questions. Well, and we're, we're talking about that these are not genealogists. This is not your standard archive. And so how do you learn what exists at your particular courthouse that you're going to? Okay, well, I do two things. And the first is I dig around on the county office's websites. So you just Google mm-hmm. the name of the county, Cuyahoga County, Ohio government or probate Mm -hmm. office or whatever you're looking for. Look for the websites. Sometimes they're standalone websites for each each county office, and sometimes they are all connected to each other. Um, So dig around in their links. Watch for mention of or links to older records that may may be at those offices or may no longer be there, and you might learn where those are. 
Um, so Google the name of the county and the word archives and see if there is an official archive, which could make your job a lot easier. <laughs> and then, yes. and then of course, all the way through, um, watch for indexes. So the second thing that I do is once I've done this online homework, I get on the phone. You really, I really, you can't answer everything online, but you can sure find the phone numbers and the people you want to talk to, to get answers to specific questions that were not answered online. I think that a lot of officials could get really annoyed being asked the same 15 questions that are on the website. So read it, digest Mm -hmm. it. And then when you've got gaps, well, I don't know, like do any types of vital records or um, exist for a certain time period? Or are there delayed birth records? You know, your website didn't mention those. Or what Mm -hmm. old maps of the county exist and maybe in different offices that may help me understand my ancestors' property? So those are specific types of questions that you could get on the phone to ask afterward. That is a great point because sometimes we get used to being able to access this information through the website. And uh, we forget the good old-fashioned telephone routine, which I agree. And how about this? If we call and ask these questions because this information is not on the website, that may prompt them to think, oh, I guess we ought to put that on there. So we're all helping, you know, them develop and and evolve their websites, which is wonderful. All right. Number three. Okay. Number three, I'm really going to push the point of um, learning what resources exist a little further by advising that you read up really well on complicated record types, especially things like deeds and probates, before you go to research them in person. You know, I don't know about you, but I am usually really pressed for time when I'm researching on site. And I don't want to waste that time learning the difference between a grantor and a grantee index. I don't want to waste Mm -hmm. that time learning the difference between different types of deed conveyances or estate documents that you might come across. Um, I don't want to waste time trying to understand, well, wait a minute, this is a letter of administration. How is that different than um, this, this other estate record I was just looking at? You'll want to be able to recognize these documents when you see them so that you can move on with your research. You know, you're describing me back in my 20s. <laughs> me too. I mean, we were all in our 20s, right? We've all been beginning yeah. researchers, and we've all done things like this. Where I remember being at the courthouse and trying to find um, some land information on my great-grandparents and coming up against those exact things and realizing, oh my gosh, they're going to close at four, right. and I can't take advantage of this because I don't understand it. Where would you read up on these so that you can be educated before you go? Okay, well, two specific tips. And, you know, I'll The caveat is that some of it you will have to learn when you're there and you'll Mm -hmm. just do it as as efficiently as you can request as little help as you as possible but you may have to request some help but two places to read up on these and the first is the courthouse research class that I developed for Family Tree University it is a no-nonsense approach tailored to exactly what a genealogist wants to know about researching ancestors in courthouses all those record types are explained in detail and it's packed with tips for finding what you want And then the second thing I would recommend, and this is something I do myself, whenever I come, whenever I realize I want to know more about a specific record type, I look for digitized records from that time period and from the comparable location, maybe another state or another county in the same state. Oh, yes. Right. And I just go in and dig in them for a little while. And then I go back and forth between my, the materials, like if you're taking the courthouse research class, or if you're reading a book about understanding these, like the source, then and go back and forth between what you're reading and what you're seeing in front of you. 
So you can really, yes, oh, this is what a letter of administration looks like. Oh, this is what, you know, these kinds of things. So I also do this as a volunteer indexer. Um, I am Mm -hmm. an indexer for FamilySearch and also for my um, local archive. And I always look for record types that I don't know well. Those are the ones (laughs) I I want to index. So I can learn about them as I'm indexing. So I'm doing good for someone else, but I'm also learning for myself. So that's what I would do. That's brilliant. Give yourself permission to look at records that have nothing to do with your ancestors in order to orient yourself to those type record types. And my goodness, if we're indexing, then we're helping everybody at the same time as we're, we're learning and familiarizing ourselves. Lovely idea. Okay. And our final and fourth tip. Okay. This is your takeaway. Of course, as soon as we find something with an ancestor's name, we get all excited. We jump up and down. We make a copy. And then we put it down and go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we do it when we're beginners. But once you've had a little time to get to get used to it, my the my last top tip for you is don't just copy it and set it down to read later, even though you may be pressed for time. Don't just tuck your copy away in your folder or your image away back on your phone. Try to digest and interpret what the document tells you on the spot as much as you can. So mm-hmm. that whatever you learn in that document, you can follow up on, maybe there's another question that you can answer while you're there at the courthouse. Ah, making the best use of our time, right. our such limited time. Yeah, it is so limited and that it can be a real fine balance because I'm like, well, there's 50 documents all with the same surname I'm interested in. Shouldn't I copy all 50 of those even if I'm not sure if they're related? Exactly. So, <laughs> find the ones you know are related, digest them, and follow their trail wherever it may lead. Absolutely. Oh, fantastic. There you have it, everybody. Your four top tips for getting the most out of your courthouse research. And Sunny has done a beautiful job of laying this all out, typing it all up for us. So we're going to have it in the show notes for you so that you can refer to it. And of course, the best way to uh, get up to speed as quickly as possible, along with Sunny's help, is the Courthouse Research Made Easy class. Sunny has authored this class, laid it all out for you. I believe Lisa also is going to be the online instructor for it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, last I heard, that's what she does, yeah. Wonderful. We're going to have a link in the show notes to get you over to that so that you can really get yourself prepared and up to speed. We know that the courthouse is not uh, available all the convenient hours. So when we get there, we want to make the best use of our time and really be familiar with the terminology and the records. And taking this class is really going to help prepare you to do what she said in her final tip, which is that to being able to digest these records because you're familiar with them and you've done your homework. Um, thanks so much, Sunny, for taking us on a tour of the courthouse and sharing your own personal experiences. We so appreciate it. Absolutely. But now I want to just ditch the rest of my work day and go to a courthouse. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Here's well, hoping all of you out there can do that too. Today in our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, I want to go back to one of the most important genealogy websites, which also happens to be free. It's FamilySearch.org. Now, who better to chat about FamilySearch than Dana McCullough? She's the author of the new book, The Unofficial Guide to FamilySearch.org. Hi, Dana. Hi, Lisa. Wow, it must have been uh, quite an undertaking putting together a book about such a huge cornerstone in the genealogy world. And really one that's constantly evolving, like so many websites are. Um, How did you approach this whole topic? 
Well, I've used the FamilySearch.org website for many years, and I kind of just used the knowledge I had gained from that, and also I interviewed uh, some individuals who work on the website um, to find out kind of what their plans are for the website so we could make sure the book was as up-to-date as possible and include, you know, the newest features that the site has to offer. Oh, well, fabulous. Well, since people listening want to find records on their ancestors. Let's let's start kind of with search and the basic areas of uh, finding records and uh, collecting them. What are some of the proven strategies that you teach in the book about locating records on the website? Well, the book is kind of an in-depth guide to the site, and so it has information about how to search the records on the site. Um, but one of the things that I found interesting as I learned more about the different record groups on the website is that there are just a ton of records that are not included in the search. So when you use the search form, you're, you may not be finding every record on your ancestor that's on the site. So you might need to browse the records. Ah. So yeah, so that is covered in the book. Um, and is that because they're not yet indexed, where the, they have already collected these and digitized them? They've got them up there, but they're not indexed yet, and that's why our search box isn't doing the trick. Yes, that is correct. Um, those are the, the records that are not indexed yet on the site. And so they do have digital images of the records, but you have to end up kind of paging through those digital images, you know, kind of like scrolling through microfilm rather than searching them on a search form. Okay, perfect. So if we go to uh, search and records, we see we get confronted initially with the search boxes. Um, how do we get to records so that we can browse? Well, there's also a link on that same page where you can get to a full, complete list of the records collections, published collections on the website. Mm-hmm. And so you'll want to click on that, um, and that'll take you to a list of all the collections. And in the records column, uh, it'll either have a number, which means that those records are searchable, or it'll have a link to browse images which means that those records are not indexed and that those are a collection that you'll need to browse. Perfect. Now, I know that there's a lot of new and different features on here. Maybe if people haven't been on Family Search for a while, they'll not recognize it a bit. Um, what are some of the areas that you think that they should be looking for? Well, one of the areas um, that they've made some changes is in the family trees on the site where you can actively work on a family tree that you're researching, and they now have record hints, which if you're familiar with Ancestry.com, it's kind of similar to like a shaky leaf icon. So on Family Search, they call it record hints, and it all automatically suggests a possible record match for your ancestors that you have in your family tree. And so even if you're not searching for a record, you know, you may find a record suggestion that you weren't even searching for. Right. So it's it's getting to be more like an Ancestry.com type of experience, isn't it? Where they're the kind of helping to lead you to some of these opportunities. And and again, if somebody's new to the site, one of the, the newer elements is that we now sign in with an account. So it is it does know who we are and recognizes the work that we're doing, right? Yes. And one of the advantages of signing in with the account is that then you have your family tree that's right there. You also can save um, the sources that you find in a source box or attach the sources to your family tree. Um, so it makes it much easier to kind of keep track of what you have been searching for and what you have found 
on the website. Great. So we've, we're building our tree on Family Search. We're getting some of those hints. We're able to not only search records, but browse the ones that are not yet coming up in search. What other, is there any other hidden tools or things that we should keep our eyes out for? Yes. So one of the challenges when you find a record sometimes is that you can't uh, understand the foreign language that it's written in, or you might have difficulty reading the handwriting script um, that a record yes. was written using. And so... Uh, Family Search has a couple of tools that can help you with that. One is we have Wordless, which can help you translate kind of key genealogical terms that you see on records. So that can be very helpful. And another um, tool that they have are handwriting helps. And this is actually something that is on their website in their indexing section where they have information for volunteers who index records. But this is also something that can be helpful to the average genealogist because the handwriting helps show how characters might appear in certain scripts in different languages. And so that can be a real uh, nice tool if you're having trouble deciphering the handwriting on a record. Oh, fantastic. So you have lots of support while you're on the website. And certainly the uh, Family History Library has been offering help to people for years and years and years. And I, you can see it more and more being incorporated into the FamilySearch.org website. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing ideas and strategies right out of the book. And, and if you're interested in Dana McCullough's book, it's called The Unofficial Guide to FamilySearch.org. And you will find it at ShopFamilyTree.com. Thanks so much for joining us, Dana. Thank you for having me, Lisa. In this episode, we've established the importance of courthouse research, looked at what you can find in a courthouse, and explored how to find court records on FamilySearch.org. Well, of course, the research particulars that you need to know are going to vary from county to county. So let's head over to the publisher's desk to talk with Family Tree Magazine publisher Allison Dolan about a resource that can help us with this. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. It's been a fun episode. We've uh, talked to Sunny Morton all about uh, the class that she wrote, and she had some great tips and examples of her own research. Um, But, you know, it's always still a little intimidating to kind of get your ducks in a row before you make the trip. Uh, What's this resource that you have in mind for us that will help us? Well, it's called the Family Tree Sourcebook. It's an ebook, and it's a massive guide to the court records all across the United States. I refer to it as the Bible of county courthouse records because it lists the details for every single county in the country. Um, Some of you may be familiar with the old Everton's Handy Book or Ancestry's Red Book, which are no longer in publications. This is the Family Tree Magazine version of that, and it's all organized by state. So for each state, you get an overview of history and historical records and then listings. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. I've been looking through it. How is it specifically helpful for county courthouse research? Well, really the meat of the book is the individual county listings. So for each county, you're going to get a location and contact information for the county courthouse, the date the county was incorporated, well, as well as the parent counties of that county, so you know where records before the date the county was established would be located. Also, you get the date in the court or office that holds birth, marriage, death, divorce, land, probate, naturalization, and other kinds of court records. And what this does is it basically lets you focus on exactly what is the right place to find the records that you want. 
you know, and that's key because every county is different, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's wonderful to be able to pull these up. I was looking up by state, and I jumped to the county, and then there's all the info. Are you using this book regularly? How does this kind of play out in your own research? Yeah, well, I can give you an example of how I'm using this information. So I have this family line in Woodford County, Kentucky, and that county is about an hour south of where I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. So that's potentially close enough for me to go down there for a weekend research trip. Mm-hmm. And so I can look up the listing in the source book, and I note that the county has the website and I can go there and I can look for hours and visitor information. So, you know, if I can't go there on Saturday, I'm going to be able to tell that. Um, I also can see that the county was formed in 1788 and most records begin in 1789. And there's a parent county, Woodford County's parent county was Fayette. So that's another courthouse that I might need to explore at some point if I get back past that 1788 date. And For me, I'm particularly interested in deeds and probate records. Um, My ancestor, Logan Raley, was owning land in that area by 1840. So by looking at the listing, I can see that the county clerk kept the land records and the circuit court has the probate records, and they go back that far. So I'm also able to identify FamilySearch microfilms in the catalog that I could rent for viewing at my local center. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's a it's a comprehensive approach to making sure that you're in the right place, the right time, and that you're not looking for something that doesn't exist. Um, it really is cool. Now, I know it's in an ebook format, and, and I love it because there was that index. I just kind of clicked to the state that I wanted and jumped to it. Why did you decide? Tell us a little bit, because I know it's, it's, it's hard for folks to make the transition from paper book to ebook, what's the advantage? Sure. Well, we really found that ebook is optimal format. It did used to be available in print, but when the copies ran out, we made the decision not to reprint. And really, because it's most usable in ebook form, you know, if you're thinking about how you're using the book, it's for doing that local on the ground research and looking up information. So to be able to search, Within the book, that's only something mm-hmm. you can do with an ebook. Not to mention, you can't lug around a 750-page book with you when you're actually going on site to do research. And with an ebook, you can put it, uh, load it up on your laptop or on your tablet, and take it with you. And you can call up the entry that you want in seconds. Exactly. It empowers us to hit the road and actually go in person and explore these records. And um, I love it. Yeah, very searchable. Well, this is awesome. Okay, so. Allison's been telling us about the Family Tree Sourcebook. It's an ebook available at Shop Family Tree. I'll have the link in the show notes for you. And boy, this is your go-to. Carry it with you uh, on your tablet, on your smartphone, on your computer as you're hitting the road. Wonderful resource. Thank you so much, Allison. We're going to talk to you next month. Sounds great, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this October 2015 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out the Family Tree Sourcebook that Allison told us about. It's a great ebook. You'll find it at shopfamilytree.com. And then head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode. And that'll include our top tips and website links, including a link over to that Courthouse Records 101 course at Family Tree University. 
Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes, and we have an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.